We take a closer look inside the Big Ten with Tom Fernelli of CBSSports.com, and you can follow him on Twitter at Tom Fernelli. Michigan had 16 penalties last week against Indiana. Is the fact that they're a one-loss team right now indicative of how fortunate they are or the fact that Jim Harbaugh is a good enough coach that it's not worse? It's it's both, to be honest with you. I mean, you look at last week, they had all those penalties. They had to go to overtime to beat Indiana. The week before, you know, in the rain, they had five turnovers against Michigan State, and they were in that game and nearly won it and had a chance to win it at the end. This is you get the feeling when you watch this Michigan team that if it could just not mess up and step on its own feet repeatedly as it does throughout the course of the game, it would be winning games by a lot more than it is. It would look better than it has. You know, it would have probably the same record, but it would be, you know, the wins would look more impressive. And I think we'd be bigger believers in Michigan. It's just every week this team seems to be doing something to slow itself down, whether it's turnovers or penalties or just, you know, bad quarterback play or just not run blocking or giving up a big play here and there on defense. So you're still waiting for Michigan to play a solid game on both sides of the ball and not screw up. But this is just, you know, we forget coming into the year, this was a very young Michigan team. There, there were so many players that they had to replace and so many guys who were, you know, getting their first real taste of being starters. So this kind of stuff should have been expected. You should expect inconsistency from a young team, but maybe as the year goes on, now that we're in mid-October and we're heading down the second half of the season, maybe guys start getting more comfortable. Maybe guys start figuring out their jobs a little better than they had early in the year. And maybe we start seeing this Michigan team playing well. And I feel like, you know, Saturday night against Penn State would be a really good time for it to start because it's it's not going to be an easy test for them. No, absolutely not. And the back end of the schedule is very tough with Wisconsin and Ohio State to close things out. But uh, let's take the first step first, and that's that's Penn State tonight, as you mentioned. How do they come through this? It's you know for Penn State, I think to win this game, they just have to pretty much do what they've been doing. This is a Michigan team that is very solid defensively, but it hasn't been explosive on offense. And I feel like with Penn State's defense, which is one of the best units in the country to this point this year, they're going to be able to keep that in check. If, if they could take away the run game, which Michigan just kind of really established for the last first time last week with Bron Higdon having a big game to kind of maybe take over that job. If they could keep Higdon in check and force John O'Corn to beat them, I think this should be a game that Penn State wins with ease, possibly. It's just there's still the question of beating that Michigan defense. Now, the Michigan defense, especially against the run, it has a, it has a tendency to give up big plays against the run. And anytime you've got Saquon Barkley in a defense that will give up a big play, that usually works well in your favor if you're the one with Barkley. So I, I think Penn State should win this game as long as it doesn't do what we just talked about with Michigan. As long as it's not turning the ball over or committing a lot of penalties or just making mistakes. This is the game Penn State should win. It's just I don't know if it's going to be a blowout because, you know, we think back to last year, Michigan won this game by 39. Yep. And it's, hard to think, it's hard to think that Michigan can win the game by 39 one season and then get blown out in the next one. So I think this is going to be closer than a lot of people want to give it credit for being, but I still think this is a game Penn State should win. Which leads me to this point. Uh, how much is today on their minds after last, week, uh, last year's blowout? I mean, the only loss since then was the close loss in the Rose Bowl for the Nittany Lions. It has to be. I mean, they would. James Franklin would never say it, and I don't think you know anybody on the team's going to say it publicly. But there has to be a revenge factor to this one because if you think about it, that 39-point loss to Michigan last year is really what kept Penn State out of the playoff. It won the Big Ten, but then when the committee was looking at it, they were looking, you know, comparing. You know, yeah, Penn State beat Ohio State, but then they looked at the loss early in the season and said, 
Well, it lost to Michigan by 39 points, and that was probably one of the deciding factors that kept Penn State out of the playoff and sent them to the Rose Bowl to play USC. So if you are the Nittany Lions, if you are James Franklin, there's definitely some revenge on your mind. And if you get the chance, you're going to try to run the score up today. Talk with Tom Fernelli of CBSSports.com as we take a closer look inside the Big Ten. You know, John O'Corn's numbers don't look much different than Wilton Spade. Why hasn't he been able to connect with the receivers? I think I think it's a combination of a few things. First of all, I think just, you know, O'Corn missing and not, you know, getting through his progressions well and just making some bad throws. And another thing is, you know, Michigan's receivers are, are young, and I don't think that they really have that go-to guy. You know, the last few years when, when the receivers were struggling, you had Jake Butt there who was an excellent security blanket for any quarterback because he's one of the better tight ends in the country. He always figured out ways to get open. So if the big play wasn't there, you could always come back underneath the butt and the flat or over the middle, and he was there to help you move the chain. And Michigan just doesn't have that guy, whether at tight end or receiver this year. At least that guy hasn't you know, established himself to this point. And I think that's hurting the quarterbacks no matter whether it's Spade or O'Corn. Ohio State now is a week off before the heavy stuff comes. Where does this team stand midway through the season? Scary. It's a scary team. I think if you're in the Big Ten, you're kind of just you're kind of seeing Ohio State. Nobody's really talking about them too much, but they're kind of just looming over everybody's shoulder. Everybody knows that they're still there. And I feel like last week, you know, JT Barrett has been playing outstanding for the last month or so, but. Ohio State, for the, those first four games of the last month, you know, they were playing Army, they were playing UNLV, Rutgers, and a Maryland team with its third-string quarterback. So you weren't really putting too much stock. But then to see them go on the road last week against Nebraska, even though Nebraska's having a down year, to go to Lincoln and beat that team by 42 points with JT Barrett having, accounting you know, for seven touchdowns, he threw for five, he ran for two. I think Ohio State's pretty good again, and I think you know, I think they're past that loss to Oklahoma this year, and I think that this is a team that, honestly, at this point, even with Penn State being undefeated, I still consider Ohio State the favorite in the Big Ten right now because I think that at this point, if they met right now, I think Ohio State would beat Penn State. So I, I think the Buckeyes are a really dangerous team, and I think they're the most likely Big Ten team to get to the playoff this year. With Penn State, oh, I sorry, with Tennessee continuing to flounder, and uh, it does not look good for Butch Jones there. The talk continues about Jeff Fromm perhaps going there. Do you see him leaving Purdue after one year to go to Tennessee? I don't. I, you know, honestly, if Jeff Brom were going to leave Purdue after only one season, the only job—I mean, I, I don't have inside info here—but the only job I could see him doing that would be for Louisville, since that's where he went. You know, he, yep. he's a Louisville alum. He, he played there. He's coached there. I think if Lou, if, say, if Bobby Petrino took over at Tennessee and that Louisville job came open, then I would start sweating if I were a Purdue fan. But I, I, I don't think I think Tennessee would be smart to go after him. But I don't think he's going to give up a Big Ten job for Tennessee. I mean, because honestly, and Tennessee fans would hate to hate to hear this, but if you can win at Purdue easier than you can win at Tennessee right now. So even if it's not the same prestigious job, I would I I think that in a way, especially with all the new facilities that they're building there, if you're Brom and you're looking at that Tennessee gig, I'm not sure what you would see there unless there's a huge raise. I don't know what you would see there that you would consider to be a definite advantage over what you already have at Purdue. So I'm not sure it's really all enticing enough to pull them away because all the, all you're going to get in the SEC that you're not, you don't have at Purdue is a lot more pressure. Yep. Absolutely. I agree with all of it. Uh, you know, Brom being one of these cases, we've seen some immediate turnarounds by new coaches this year. 
But after winning nine games last year, Minnesota has not had that out-of-the-gate success with P.J. Fleck. Uh, how surprised are you by this? Uh, no, I'm surprised that I'm not too surprised because I felt like last year Minnesota it won nine it won nine games, but Minnesota never really struck you as a nine-win team. You know what I mean? And I, I think coming into this year, I, I, I figured seven and five, eight and four was the most likely outcome, especially in the Big Ten West. I think you know you can always steal a few extra wins here and there, considering how the rest of that division normally looks. But three and three right now, zero and three in the Big Ten. That that's kind of surprising. I did not expect them to be having this kind of struggles and. E.J. Fleck has said in recent weeks that, you know, guys still have to buy in or, you know, they still haven't gotten to the – he's probably said elite a lot more times in the sentence than I am. But <laughs> it's just I, – I think that maybe even though this is a team that has won so many games, it's switching to a new system and everything. Maybe it's kind of like starting over and maybe they're just having trouble getting into it and really adjusting to the new system and the new way that they play. I'm not quite 100% sure what it is, but it could also just be that, like I said, Minnesota won nine games last year, but it never really felt like a nine-win team. So maybe it's maybe it's regressing to the mean a little bit. I, I don't know, but I still think that the Gophers are going to have some pretty good seasons under Fleck in the future. We take a closer look inside the Big 12 with Tom Fernelli of CBSSports.com, and you can follow him on Twitter, at Tom Fernelli. The Big 12 might not have as much flash as other conferences, but it does have a lot of depth. How will that depth be a landmine for the top-level teams during these final six weeks of the season? It's it's going to be a problem. I mean, it's scary. It's, you feel like, especially you know the way Oklahoma went down, Oklahoma State went down, and now it's like you look at TCU and you're just like, well, you're you're going to lose eventually because apparently everybody gets it in the Big 12. That's that's the scary part of playing the round robin schedule. And I think that you know if if you look at TCU and you look at the rest of the schedule, first of all, they're going to win today, but in recent years TCU when it's been good has really it's they've struggled in the game against Kansas and I don't know what it is maybe it's just David Beatty who came from TCU kind of has you know TCU figured out well enough where Kansas can compete but you look at Kansas they they should win today but then after that they've got Iowa State on the road next week and we've seen what a pain Iowa State can be then they get Texas and road trip to Oklahoma and then a road trip to Texas Tech that that's a tough stretch right there before they finish the season with Baylor so at some point, you just feel like with the way that things always seem to work in the Big 12 and the way that they have worked to this season, they're going to get caught at some point. Now, I would guess it would be that road trip to Oklahoma that probably is going to be their first loss of the season. And then when that happens, the Big 12 is going to be completely wide open since everybody's fighting for those top two spots to get to the, top, the conference championship game. How much did last week's Red River showdown whet the appetite for a long time to come, or so we hope? Uh, I, I'm ready for it. I mean, it was, you know, going into the season, you knew it was just with the diff, the new changes of head coach with like Lincoln Riley, Tom Herman, not just new coaches, but two young new coaches who could be there for a while. So I, I think last week's game, you know, it kind of lived up to it. It was a close game. It was a, it, was, it wasn't well played for all 60 minutes, but it was, it was a close game and it was a fun game and it was an exciting game. And it's, it's pretty much what you want out of Texas, Oklahoma, especially with the way that the teams, you know, in recent years have morphed into the offenses that they use in the Big 12, going from the old days of them running the option and whatnot to now just airing it out everywhere. It was it was a good game, and I, I think it's probably going to morph to the point where it's going to be the most important Big 12 game in the regular season every year for the next decade or so. Talking with Tom Fernelli, as we take a closer look inside the Big 12, you could always follow Tom on Twitter at Tom Fernelli. How much can Oklahoma improve its secondary to be a viable playoff contender? It needs. I, here's. 
I feel like at times the way it's played that it can't get worse. So I, I don't know how much they can improve it. I think that they need to improve it because if they don't, you know, especially in that conference, it's not hard to find a team willing to exploit your secondary in the Big 12. And I just think that it's been a problem for them this year. And obviously they're, they're still, you know, they're still five and one. They've managed to survive it. It's just they've been in, they've been in games that they are a lot closer than they probably should be. And I think it's more matchup dependent too. I think I, as long as they're not playing a team that could be, has really good vertical deep threats at receiver, I think they can manage. It's just they still need to figure out a way when you're playing the Texas Tech and a team that's running four verts constantly. That's when it becomes problematic for Oklahoma. And I think you know when they play Oklahoma State at the end of the year, obviously there's a team that can exploit that. So I think it's the one thing that Mike Stoops, the defensive coordinator, I think that's the one thing on his mind that he's probably trying to figure out a way to fix and work on every day in practice for the rest of the season. Because I think Oklahoma coaches are well aware that their front seven is doing its job. And is, even though it could do a better job, because like I, I've always said, good pass rush is the best pass defense. So I think you want to improve there as that would help things out. But the way that quarterbacks get the ball out so quickly in these big 12 offenses, you know, sometimes it's really hard to do that. So I think the focus for Mike Stoops going forward is going to be on the secondary. And I think he can get improvement. It's just a question of how much improvement and will it be enough to keep them from losing another game? What would Oklahoma be right now without Baker Mayfield? Oh, so it's so strange (laughs) because Baker Mayfield is so good it's just if you look at the history of Oklahoma quarterbacks they've brought in guys who've been good but I I do feel like Baker takes it to another level maybe that we haven't quite seen there in a few years maybe since like the Sam Bradford days so I think they'd still be a top team in the Big 12 but without you take away Baker right now I don't think there's a team that you're really going to consider as a playoff contender for the entire season no, absolutely not. As we talk with Tom Fernelli of CBSSports.com, as we talk about the Big 12 Conference, and you can always uh, follow him on Twitter, at Tom Fernelli, with all the great quarterback play in the Big 12. How much will TCU's championship and playoff hopes come down to Kenny Hill? Very much so. I mean, he, he's, he's in my mind, as good as TCU's been, its defense has been it's the TCU defense that we see from Gary Patterson. It's got a good run game. It's got a good offensive line. But the one thing in my – the X factor for me in the Horned Frogs this year has been Kenny Hill because Kenny Hill has been playing well. He's been taking care of the ball. He's been making the right decisions. He's been – you know, when things aren't there, he's been able to take off and pick up key first downs with his legs. He's been absolutely excellent. He's done everything the Horned Frogs have needed him to do. And I feel like if this TCU team does end up winning the Big 12 – you know, the team MVP will be Hill. I just feel like he's been that important to what they've done. And if he keeps playing at this level, there's no reason for TCU not to keep winning. And if he, you know, if he regresses and goes back to the guy we saw, you know, from Texas A&M or even last year at TCU, then they're going to lose a game of possibly two or three. So I think he really is the linchpin for this team this week and every week going forward for the rest of the season. West Virginia had one great comeback last week. Where would you put the combination of Will Greer and David Sills in the country? Probably at the top. I mean, I don't know if it'd be number one, but I'm definitely putting them in the top five as far as combinations are concerned right now. David Sills, I think, is a name that most people probably aren't familiar with, but he's having a monster year. We released at CBSSports.com, we released our midseason All-Americans this week. David Sills is on it. He's had a fantastic year for the Mountaineers. He's been him and James Washington, two receivers both in the Big 12, are posting huge numbers, and they're doing it every week, and they continue getting open even though every single defense that they're facing is keying and saying, this is the guy we need to stop. There's 
still having huge weeks and Stills has been magnificent. And Will Greer is just he's one of those quarterbacks that I love because he's not afraid to make any pass. <laughs> there is there's never a receiver Will Greer has looked at and said, I can't get the ball to him. You know what I mean? He's, he thinks everybody's open because his arm is good enough to get the ball to him. So it's just, it's a very fun combination to watch, and it's one that's working out really well for the Mountaineers to this point. You know, West Virginia has losses losses to Virginia Tech and TCU, both by seven points. Is this one of those teams we should keep an eye on that could cause trouble over the second half? Yes. It's, you know, they still have some big games left. They still get to play Oklahoma State. They still play Texas. They still play Oklahoma. So West Virginia's at this point, you know, with their record in the conference being at two and one, they're still in the race, but you have to think it's going to be hard for them to win the Big 12. But they're going to play spoiler, and they're going to have a role in who ends up winning the conference because, like you said, they have lost, but you look at the two teams they've lost to, there's no shame in them, and they've been close losses. This is a good team that's probably going to be better than its final record suggests.